It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio KCW in Sitka. Today is Tuesday, February 2nd. I'm Meredith Reddick with Raven News. Sitka experienced a brief reprieve when the city's COVID risk level dipped to low midway through last week. But by the time the weekend was over, several more cases were reported and the city's alert level had shifted back to moderate. Between January 24 and January 31, six new cases were reported on the city's COVID dashboard. All of the new patients are Sitka residents who range in age from a child under 9 to a man in his 50s. Half of them were experiencing symptoms when they received testing, and half were not. Four of the new cases are tied to community spread. Since the start of the pandemic last year, Sitka has reported 314 coronavirus cases. Five cases are currently considered active, according to city data. Though the city COVID risk level is now moderate, both the Sitka School District and Mount Edgecombe High School are still reporting a low-risk alert level. Since the coronavirus vaccine rollout began in December, more than a quarter of Sitkins have received their first dose. As the vaccine becomes more widely available, many people have questions about its safety, efficacy, and accessibility. To help bring listeners the most up-to-date information, KCAW invited Search's Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Elliot Brule, to answer listener questions at the third and final Ask a COVID Expert event last week. Brule discussed everything from extremely rare allergic reactions to travel safety to the emergence of a new variant of the virus in Alaska. He said virus mutations are normal and that so far the vaccine is still effective against the new variant, but that could change. You know, people wonder, well, all right, let's just take our time with this vaccine or something. That is not an option. It's very important that globally we vaccinate as many people as possible as soon as possible and shut this down before a more virulent strain of this coronavirus emerges. Brule also addressed vaccine availability. Alaska has the highest vaccination rate of any state. Brule said that's partly because there's a high proportion of tribal health organizations that received their own vaccine allotments from the Indian Health Service. The coronavirus pandemic has had a really devastating effect in Indian country uh, all around the country. And Native people have been having attack rates within their communities that are much, much higher than in the uh, non-Native communities. So the whole point of this additional distribution of vaccine is to target those communities. To read more of Brule's answers to questions about the coronavirus or to watch the full Ask a COVID Expert event, you can visit our website, kcaw.org. You can also find information about how to sign up for the vaccine through Search or White's Pharmacy on the KCAW Coronavirus Information Hub. There's uncertainty over whether Haynes will actually receive the $1.4 million in state disaster assistance it was promised in the wake of destructive landslides late last year. Local officials worry the Dunleavy administration may have had a change of heart after it learned it had more time to spend the money elsewhere. KHNS's Henry Licia reports. 
During the first week of December, landslides and flooding destroyed nine homes and killed two people in Haines. Dozens of residents are still displaced. About a week and a half later, the State Department of Health and Social Services announced $1.4 million in disaster funding was coming to Haines via Juno's Bartlett Regional Hospital. Some of it was for psychiatric services in Haines. Bartlett Hospital's Chief Behavioral Health Officer Bradley Grigg came up with a team of specialists for two weeks. It was supposed to cover those costs and more. Here he is speaking on December 14th. The rest of the money is going to be distributed um, throughout the community to support short-term and longer-term where we can uh, to ensure that families who have been impacted by the heavy rains and the slides last week, this funding will directly support them. The source of the funds was federal pandemic relief granted to the state through the CARES Act. At that time, the state had about two weeks to allocate its share of the funds or return it to the federal government. Interim Hainsboro manager Aleka Fullerton says that hospital officials quickly organized meetings to figure out how to get that money out the door. But then she says they found a snag. Bartlett Regional Hospital is a public entity controlled by the city and a borough of Juneau. So it was in effect one municipality giving money to another municipality. And apparently CBJ's lawyers alerted to that and um, had additional questions. And there are some other processes in place for giving money from one municipality to another. CBJ attorneys informed the Hainsboro that Bartlett had decided to return the money to the state. That way the state could redistribute the funds directly to the local government in Haines. And that's when I got nervous. Fullerton says she's been on the phone for weeks to state officials trying to figure it out. She's reached out to the governor's office and the state public health agency. Haines resident Bill Thomas, a special assistant to the governor, forwarded Fullerton an email from a Department of Health and Social Services official. The agency did not send it to Fullerton directly. In the email, legislative liaison Suzanne Cunningham wrote that once Congress extended the deadline to spend CARES Act funds, the $1.4 million was no longer available for Haines. For Fullerton, that explanation is confusing and unsatisfying. I think the state said, wow, we have all this funny money that's going to expire on December 30th. What are we going to do with it? Oh, here's a great idea. Let's give it to Haynes. And then I think once they realize that it's not going to expire, they're clawing it back, thinking that, wow, there's many other things that if we had a year, we would rather spend it on than Haynes. That's Fullerton's take on the situation. Bartlett Regional Hospital's Bradley Grigg referred questions to the state. In an email to KHNS, Alaska Department of Health and Social Services Communications Director Clinton Bennett said the CARES Act funds weren't a $1.4 million check written to Haines. He said the funding was intended for Bartlett Regional Hospital to provide services in Haines, but the city and borough of Juneau determined that the hospital did not have the authority to expend those funds outside of Juneau, so the services could not be provided. Bennett said DHSS continues to work with stakeholders to resolve this, but nothing has been finalized. State lawmakers representing Haynes say they're looking into the issue. Juneau Democrats Representative Sarah Hannon and Senator Jesse Keel say they're making inquiries but weren't ready to comment. It's not clear if or how locals in Haines could plug a $1.4 million hole if the state doesn't release the funds. Fullerton says officials had planned to use it to help displaced families with rent and utilities, purchase equipment for telehealth services, and fund mental health services for people affected by the disaster. In Haines, I'm Henry Leisha. The harvest for Dungeness crab in southeast Alaska's commercial fishing season is the second largest on record. 
The catch from the fall fishery added to one of the few bright spots from last year. KFSK's Angela Denning reports. A few areas of Southeast's commercial Dungeness crab season are still open through February, but most areas closed at the end of November. The estimate for the fall harvest is 813,000 pounds. That's down slightly from recent years, but the 2020 summer harvest was so large that it still makes the total season harvest the second largest ever. What we saw last year was, um, was a big harvest. You know, it, it was a big season poundage-wise. Joe Stratman is Southeast's lead crab manager for the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. The total season harvest for the summer and fall fisheries is 6.68 million pounds. That's far above the 10-year average, which is 3.28 million pounds, but just under the record-breaking year of 2002 and 2003. The total season was worth $11.5 million. That's mainly because a lot of crab were caught. The price paid to fishermen was below recent years. The fall averaged $1.88 per pound, and the summer, $1.70. That's about a dollar less per pound than 2019, and less than other recent years, says Stratman. Even though the price was slightly better in the fall, what we saw for you know summer and fall prices was down quite a bit from the recent three seasons anyway. Most of the Dungeness crab were caught in the summer fishery, June 15th through August 15th, which is normal because conditions are safer and more fishermen are participating. In the fall fishery, the main areas were open for all of October and November. There are still some fishermen crabbing in a few areas still open, but Stratman says it's not likely that the harvests will change enough to compete with the 2002-03 record year. Managers rely on Dungeness harvest data because they don't do separate surveys on the species in southeast. Harvests have been good in recent years compared to other species of crab. Commercial red king crab fishing has been closed in recent years, and commercial tanner fishing is limited to about a week a year. But commercial fishing for Dungeness is open for four months a year in many areas, and the population seems to be holding. I think it's it's safe to say we have steady and reliable annual recruitment into the fishery. We've got a steady amount of crab that are entering the fishery every year, recruit crab that are legal for the first time. And um, we don't have any discernible, you know, large gaps in our recruitment. The southeast area with the highest harvest in this fall's fishery was District 12 in northern Chatham Strait. The highest participation in the fishery was District 8 near Petersburg and Wrangell. The next crab seasons in southeast are Tanner and Golden King crab in mid-February. In Petersburg, I'm Angela Denning. I'm Meredith Reddick, and this has been Raven News. This is Morning Edition.